Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. The football season is coming, and there's no better place to start making every moment more than with FanDuel. I just love using this app. It's super user-friendly and safe. They have such a deep repertoire of odds and markets for every sport, and they have same-game parlays. You guys remember the same-game parlays that Liv Moods and I were throwing out during the NBA playoffs for the volume. Those were a ton of fun. All around, it's by far the best sports gambling experience I've come into contact with. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. Again, promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia.
All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. We are going to be continuing our top 25 NBA players list with number 20 through number 16 today. And we're going to get right into it. But before we get started, follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements as well as any video content that I produce Subscribe to The Volume's YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our shows. And if for whatever reason you do miss a show and you can't get back over to YouTube to check it out, we do release them in audio form under our podcast feed under Hoops Tonight, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, without any further ado, let's hop into it. Number 20, Kyrie Irving. Yes, I think Kyrie Irving is a top 20 basketball player in the world. I'd probably have him a touch higher, closer to 15, if he was a little bit more reliable and dependable. Uh, I do believe he's going to have one of his best seasons on that front this year. I think it was a bit of a wake-up call for him, what happened with his contract negotiation. He very much wanted a five-year deal from Brooklyn this offseason, and he didn't get it for good reason. He demonstrated over the previous two seasons that he's not dependable as it pertains to fulfilling the obligations of his contract. So he had to opt in to his player option. And next year, he's an unrestricted free agent, and he's going to be seeking a long-term deal. The only way he's going to get that is if he demonstrates this season that the behavior from the previous seasons is over, and then he's ready to commit to playing basketball on a regular basis, which I believe he will. But let's get to the basketball. So in this regular season, he averaged 27 points, four rebounds, and six assists on 59% true shooting, which is excellent, albeit on a small sample size. I think he only played right around 30 games this year. He averaged 21-5-5 and on 59% true shooting in the four-game sweep against the Boston Celtics, which we're going to talk a little bit more about here in a second because I do think that a little bit too much blame is put on Kyrie and KD in that specific series. So, he's one of the most reliable playoff scorers of this era. If you take out that ugly series against Milwaukee in 2019 when he was with the Celtics, you can pretty much reliably and dependably book him for 20-plus points efficiently every single night. And it's because, as we talked about in our criteria, I think three-level scoring is the second most valuable offensive skill in all of basketball. And that is Kyrie's primary elite skill. He's actually not great at anything else, really, but he's fantastic at that specific skill. So when you get to the playoffs and you're attacking switching defenses and you need guys that can attack matchups and you need guys that can rescue possessions, right? Shot clock's winding down. You don't have anything working. You throw the ball to Kyrie. He's as good as you'll find at those specific things. And so that makes him an immensely valuable playoff player. He's one of my favorite scorers to analyze and to try to take things from for my own game. When I'm talking to young players as well, I I say the same thing. Like When it comes to emulating players, even though Kyrie's very aesthetically appealing and he has a lot of flashy elements to his game, he's also amazingly fundamentally sound with his footwork, with his jump shot form, with his uh, ability to change pace and speed, his his foot speed and quickness. He's as good as you'll find at those specific things. And and there are a lot of parts to Kyrie game that young players should absolutely try to emulate. Obviously, I think he's the best ball handler in the league. Steph Curry's very close, but I think Kyrie Irving's the best ball handler in the league probably of all time. That allows him to play reactionary basketball instead of, you know, kind of like predetermining what he's going to do. Because of that, it makes him extremely difficult to guard. He doesn't 
predetermined moves, he reacts to what defenses do. He's got an unlimited repertoire of counter moves. So he's kind of just going one way or the other based on which way the defender is leaning. And then when he waits to see what you're going to do, and then he has a counter for regardless of what your move is. He can finish short from the rim. He can finish at the rim. He can pull up long twos. He can pull up classic mid-range twos. And he has all of the off-the-dribble three-point shots in the game. He's, that it's, in terms of versatility and well-rounded offensive skill sets, that's, that's what makes Kyrie Kyrie. He's as good as you'll find in the league at that specific thing. His ball handling also makes him excellent at taking care of the basketball. He's always been a low turnover player. But outside of those things, which that, that, that skill set, that three-level scoring, that, that ball handling, all of that, Kyrie's as good as you'll find in the league. But everything else, literally every other area of the game of basketball, he's below average for his position. And that's what holds him back from reaching what Steph Curry can do as a small guard in the league. He's not a great playmaker. He doesn't move well without the basketball. He's a poor on-ball defender. He doesn't do great covering in rotations. When it comes to the physicality areas of the game, like fighting for position and getting contested rebounds, he's not great compared to other guards around the league. Leadership and availability, I don't need to say much. Just look at what happened over the course of the last two years. So he's got this lengthy list of weaknesses that kind of hold him back, but his peak skill is what makes him so valuable. Now, it's it's kind of unique because as a number two with a team like Brooklyn that didn't have great role players, his shortcomings become a problem. But then you put him on the 2016 Cavs alongside a great list of role players, all of a sudden his elite three-level scoring is the perfect skill set of for, for a number two alongside LeBron. I've always thought him and LeBron's skill sets complement each other really well. It's one of the main reasons why I think the Lakers should pay whatever it takes to get Kyrie on board. <clears throat> His recent playoff failures are a bit overblown. He was amazing in Cleveland. Then in Boston, he was a number one, which just isn't the role that he should have. He's not good enough to be a number one. And then he was fantastic before he got hurt in that Brooklyn playoff run where they lost against Milwaukee. And then last year, this 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 last season, you know, it's easy to get caught up in the numbers, only 21 points per game, right? But if you actually look at the half-court scoring, they fared better against Boston than anybody else did. And remember, I said Boston was one of the best defenses I had ever seen. They certainly are one of the best half-court defenses that I had ever seen. You guys probably remember me ranting about their transition defense or their inability to take care of the basketball and the way that compromised them frequently. But in the half-court, Boston was unbelievably dominant. And it wasn't Golden State that scored the best against them. It wasn't Milwaukee. It wasn't Miami. It was Brooklyn. They averaged about 97 points per 100 half-court possessions compared to 92 for Golden State, who is the second most effective offense offense against that Boston team. And that was with Kevin Durant having one of the worst playoff series of his career. So Kyrie, you know, it's easy to look at Kyrie and to look at KD for what happened in those series, in that series, in that sweep, but Giannis struggled with efficiency you know, Jimmy Butler was amazing because Jimmy Butler is just a, a complete anomaly. But like it, a lot of players struggled against that Boston defense. You can't just specifically point at Kyrie and KD as the only guys who struggled. And the ultimate team goal of putting the ball in the basket, Brooklyn was better at that 
against Boston than any of the other teams were. The reason why they lost that series, the reason why they got dominated in that series is they couldn't get stops and they really struggled to hold up under the physicality that Boston creates with all of their length and athleticism all over the floor. Kyrie absolutely can be a number two. We've seen it like in 2016 with the Cavs. You just need to have great role players there. It's one of the main reasons why that Brooklyn situation was broken and why they need to blow things up. They just don't necessarily have the requisite pieces to win with uh, with Kyrie Irving as your second best player. Number 19, James Harden. So in this regular season, he averaged 22 points, 8 rebounds, and 10 assists on 58% true shooting. Then in the postseason, 19 points per game, 6 rebounds, and 9 assists on 58% true shooting. His best skill is his playmaking at this point in his career. Used to be scoring, now it's playmaking. I call him a second-tier playmaker. If you look at like LeBron, Chris Paul, Jokic, and Luka as like your top-tier guys, I think James Harden's in the group right below them. That's his best skill. He's still a very efficient scorer, just on much lower volume. I mean, 19 points per game in a playoff series or in a playoff run just isn't going to get it done. The reality is, is he's lost a step. Now, some people will blame the hamstring. It's probably a combination of that in his lifestyle, which has led to him being out of shape often, not taking great care of his body. I think push comes to shove. James Harden would probably admit that, but that has led to him losing a step. And him losing a step has affected every single part of his game. You know, I talk about this a lot on this show, especially when we talk about skill development, but no move or, or offensive attack works without the counter also working. Because if the counter doesn't work, the defender can sit on your strength. We talked about this with Pascal Siakam in the last show, if you guys remember. If you can't shoot, then players will play off of you and take away your rim strengths. If you can't beat them off the dribble, then they will play up on your jump shot and make it harder for you to get to your jump shot. So for James Hart, for Pascal Siakam, it was the inability to shoot that affects him as a rim scorer, right? But for James Harden, it's his inability to get a step on defenders into the lane that affects his pull-up jump shooting. So in Philly, he averaged 2.1 restricted area finishes per game on 59%. As a comparison, in 2018, when he won the MVP, he, won, uh, he finished 3.9 layups in the restricted area per game at 62% with Houston in 2018. So he is half as effective at getting to the rim and finishing as he was in 2018. That's a significant drop-off. This past season, he shot 33% on pull-up jump shots with Philly on only 6.7 attempts per game. In 2018, he shot 40% on pull-up jump shots on 10 attempts per game. So as you can see, that inability to drive the ball to the basket has allowed defenders to step up on his step back more. He's not getting as much separation. More often than not, he's passing on those shots. His attempts are way down. And then when he gets to him, he doesn't have the requisite separation and he's not knocking them down. There's always a give and a take to this kind of thing. All areas of the game of basketball are intricately connected in all of these ways. And James Harden losing a step has directly affected his ability to get to his pull-up jump shot, which it, which makes it even harder to get to the rim. You know, they, they all just kind of like compound on each other like that. So, and, and the, the, the place where you see that affect the Sixers so much is guys like Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris are really good basketball players, but they're not great enough 
to consistently attack a set defense. And it's so important for Philly for James Harden to get initial dribble penetration so that guys like Maxie and Harris can attack with an advantage. And when those guys attack with an advantage, they are deadly. And so James Harden trying to recapture some of that athleticism is the best pathway towards Philly reaching their ultimate ceiling because they need James Harden to be able to beat people off the dribble consistently again. Last couple of nitpicky things. You know, he was great. He turned into a solid defensive player in 2018, but outside of that, it's always been pretty bad. He's still a solid post-up defender because teams foolishly think that he's small so they can attack him in the post, but he's a very big 6'5 and trunky and has a low center of gravity, so trying to post him up is kind of a fool's errand. My main beef with James Harden has always been like leadership and body language. It's one of the big reasons why I was a huge fan of the P.J. Tucker signing and the Daniel House signing. You know, toughness and, and like remaining competitive Competitive in basketball games is one of James Harden's biggest weaknesses. You see it all the time. You saw it again in this Miami series. Where remember that play where uh, uh, he kind of like was walking the ball up the floor as it was rolling on the ground, and then uh, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Victor Oladipo, but they just ran in and grabbed the basketball, went and laid it up the other way. You remember the end of the 2019 series against Golden State, where he's just throwing the ball all over the court. Like when the going gets tough. James Harden's body language is poor, and it, 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 and that's tough when your best player has that type of body language because the whole team will traditionally follow. So hopefully guys like Daniel House and P.J. Tucker will help the Sixers in that specific department and make this team a little bit more capable of holding up in some adversity in the playoffs. So last question with James Harden. Is he washed? I don't think so. First of all, he's still relatively young. He's in his early 30s. He's only a couple years older than me. And I think what he's going through right now is actually kind of similar to something that I'm going through just in a different way. Like, I always grew up with an incredible metabolism. I could eat whatever the hell I wanted, and I just never put on any weight. And I always I always felt like I could get away with anything. And as I've noticed as I've gotten earlier, like, my digestive system's a little bit more sensitive. Like, if I, if I do what I did on vacation and eat like crazy and don't work out, like I put on 12 pounds in 14 days on a lake and on a cruise ship, right? Like it's a lot of you guys who are listening can probably relate to that uh, to a certain extent. Now with James Harden, it's a little bit more intense because it's on the, on the level of a professional athlete, right? So he's a professional athlete and for him, it's more his lifestyle, the, the clubbing, the late nights, all that kind of stuff, right? And for a long time, he could get away with it. But I think over the last couple of years, he's had some glaring examples of the fact that he's aging to the point where he can no longer live that lifestyle. He might have to turn away from the clubbing <laughs> in the late nights until the off season. And I, I genuinely believe, based on absolutely no intel, I genuinely believe that James Harden has learned that lesson. I believe he will come into camp this year in much better shape. I think he understands the urgency of what this Philly team is capable of with Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid on the roster. I believe he will come back and have a bounce back season. I expect James Harden to be a dominant top 10 level player this year. He doesn't deserve that recognition now, but I think he's got at least one or two great seasons left in him. He'll just have to take care of his body. And I think he's learned that lesson, that lesson, and I believe we will see a bounce-back season from James Harden this year. We'll see if he makes me look stupid for saying something like that. Because, I mean, here's the thing. When James Harden has got it going to the rim, when he's got that burst, he is a top-10 player. 
Like in 2018, he was creeping into that five or six spot. And I, he may not be that good again, but if he can get to the ninth or tenth best player in the league type of, of production, all of a sudden Philly becomes a much more interesting championship threat. All right, guys, I have some big news. FanDuel has an all-new mobile gaming app called FanDuel Faceoff. FanDuel Faceoff is where you compete in quick, fun games against other real people for real cash. It has all sorts of games that you're already familiar with, like Home Run Derby, Wheel of Fortune, puzzle and strategy games, with more on the way. Contests are action-packed, and they last between two to five minutes, so you can play on your couch or waiting in line during a commercial break or wherever, and on your schedule. Plus, you can practice for free anytime. Whether it be head-to-head, multiplayer, or larger tournaments, FanDuel Faceoff has something for you. Plus, in most contests, you'll be matched against players of similar skill level, so you're never totally overmatched, even as a beginner. Faceoff is also tied to your FanDuel account and wallet, so you can easily use your daily fantasy funds or sportsbook winnings in the app. Give it a try, guys. Download the FanDuel Faceoff app and just try a few non-cash contests. See if you like it. Then your FanDuel Fantasy and Sportsbook wallets are already attached, so if you want to try playing for money, you can do it at that point. Visit FanDuel.com to download the FanDuel Faceoff app and get in the game. Age and location restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See FanDuel.com slash faceoff terms for terms and conditions. Number 18. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. One that I've been looking forward to talking to, talking about for a long time, uh, because I do think this is a super interesting co- topic, and it's very, very important to the success of the Los Angeles Lakers. Number 18, Anthony Davis. Now, I've been, for all of these other rankings, I've been giving the uh, last season's uh, stats and last playoff run stats. For Anthony Davis, I'm going to give the last two seasons because it's, he has been so unavailable that, and it's, it just kind of gives a better, uh, uh, it ca- does a better job of capturing the way that he's fallen off. So, in the last two regular seasons, he's averaged 23 points, nine rebounds, and three assists on 57% true shooting. 
in games one through three against Phoenix in last year's playoff run, because he played two additional games, but he barely played in both of those games because he got hurt. But in games one through three versus Phoenix, he averaged 27, nine and three, which is great. But on 43% shooting and 25% from three. I'm going to compare that to the 2020 season for you guys real quick so you could see how big of a drop-off we're talking about. 2020 regular season, 26 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists on 61% true shooting. In the 2020 playoffs, 28 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists on 67% true shooting. It was one of the most dominant playoff runs that we've seen. Now, a lot of people are going to say things like, oh, it was the bubble. But I encourage you to look at Anthony Davis's production in the month or so leading into the bubble before the shutdown and the, early, the very early part of the, uh, of the following regular season. His jump shot really was coming around. He really was uh, uh, developing into a better version of himself. And then something happened after that point. It's funny because I was watching a Tom Brady, or I saw a, a, a tweet come across my timeline the other day of Tom Brady. Someone was quoting something that happened in training camp, and Tom Brady was like turning to Leonard Fournette and cussing him out because he got tackled for a loss on a running play in training camp. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, that dude is such a psychopath. Like he's got seven championships. He's undisputed the best football player ever. And he's still every bit of a psychotically competitive asshole now that he was back then. And it's so strange to see that juxtaposed with what happened with Anthony Davis, which is after the bubble, you could make a solid case that he was as high as the second best player in the world. I had, I think I had him four, if I remember correctly, after that playoff run. But he was like unassailably a top five NBA basketball player. Again, 28, 10, and four on 67% true shooting on the way to a title. And not so much in the finals, but in the previous rounds, he was every bit as good as LeBron James was. That's how good he was. And then he just completely fell off. Now, health did play a role, but some of it is controlled and some of it is out of his control. Landing on someone's foot, yeah, I can't, it, you, there's nothing you can really do about that. That happened late in this past season. But there's great intel out there from multiple people that he came into camp in 2021 and in 2022 out of shape. I should, yeah, like in the, the 2021 season and the 2022 season, he showed up into camp out of shape. He looked big. He visibly looked big on the screen. And then you see things like, oh, he's having Achilles tendinosis, which is a wear and tear injury. You know, you see him getting wrist injuries and things like that from falling down all the damn time. That's stuff that's absolutely under his control. And I mean, like, I can't just sit there and be like, oh man, Anthony Davis, top five player, just needs to be healthy. No, he showed up into camp out of shape and then proceeded to get hurt. That, that, that's, that's a thing that tends to happen when you show up into camp out of shape. There are two Anthony Davises. There's the defensive player of the year candidate who is a knockdown three-point shooter who has a deadly high post attack and is a monster around the rim. That guy's a top five player. But then there's the all-defense-ish level big who can't score efficiently anytime he's away from the basket and is basically Clint Capella around the rim who can roll and dive and he still is a pretty dominant offensive rebounder so Clint Capella is probably underselling it to a certain extent but 
offensively, the you know that's that's the kind of player we've seen the last couple of years. And that's why I call him the Lakers X factor. That's why I think he's the most important piece to whether or not the Lakers can get back to championship contention. There's two Anthony Davises. That first Anthony Davis, the deep, the defensive player of the year, is a perimeter monster and an under-the-rim monster. That guy's going to take the Lakers back to championship contention. If it's more of the last two years, and it's the guy that doesn't make the extra effort plays on defense anymore, who can't score efficiently away from the rim, who doesn't take care of his body, the Lakers are going to be a, you know, a, a play-in team. So, I mean... Yeah, I hope the Lakers make some moves to spruce up the roster. Yeah, we hope LeBron stays healthy. Yeah, we hope Austin Reeves takes a leap. None of that matters unless the old Anthony Davis comes back. It's the it's the only thing that matters as it pertains to the Lakers reaching their ceiling. Because when Anthony Davis is that guy, and when LeBron is healthy and on the floor, those two guys, it's extremely difficult to beat them in a basketball game when they're at that level. Now, what do I expect? This has been a lot of noise. And he's been consistently criticized for two years, fairly. I saw a tweet come across my feed from some random account today. It's like, why Anthony Davis is a top 10 player in the NBA? And I wanted to be like, you can't make that case anymore. He has absolutely no case to be considered among the top 10 players in the league. In fact, it's insulting to the other players that are in that area to put him there. He has massively fallen off over the last couple of years. I genuinely believe that all of that will lead to him waking up and having a big bounce back season this year, just like what happened with James Harden. But that's in Anthony Davis's hands and it's up to him to make that happen. And, and, and again, I know I've just been really critical of him, but he's one of my favorite players and he's so incredibly dominant when he's locked in. I just want to see that again. I just, I'm trying to light a fire under his butt, man. I want to see the old Anthony Davis. Number 17, DeMar DeRozan. In this regular season, he averaged 28, 5, and 5 on 59% true shooting. Damn good. Playoff run, albeit in a quick gentleman sweep to the Bucs, he averaged 21, 5, and 5 on 48% true shooting. Ugh. Um, the Bucs are really good, and, and they were a bad matchup for Chicago. We talked about this in our playoff previews uh, you know, several months ago, but the Bulls were basically the worst three-point shooting team in the league. They were dead last in three-point attempts per 100 possessions, and they were 29th in makes per 100 possessions. And the Bucs, they are a team that sells out to the paint and makes you shoot threes. And so it was a really, really bad matchup specifically for the Bulls and specifically for DeMar DeRozan. Like, DeMar DeRozan averaged five made field goals in the paint this season. The Bucks held him to 3.2. Why? Because it's just completely crowded in there. So a huge part of that is the Lonzo Ball injury. And I, he's just, the poor kid just can't stay on the court. And, and I, he's, he's a really, really talented young guard, particularly on the defensive end of the floor. And he's turned himself into such a good three-point shooter that just Lonzo getting healthy and getting back into the lineup will go a long way towards alleviating that spacing issue. They need Patrick Williams to take a leap. They need to get a better front court athlete uh, because Vucevic struggles in some of those things. So I, I do think that I want to cut DeRozan some slack in what happened in that uh, in that specific playoff matchup against the Bucks. But the reality is, is that he does need to get better as a three-level scorer. DeMar DeRozan is a great two-level scorer, 
but he's methodically works his way closer to the basket as a back to the basket player. And when you're playing against teams like the Bucks that pack the paint, that's just not enough. He needs to become a dynamic pull up three point shooter so that he can get more slashing opportunities, so that he can actually get downhill a little bit more instead of methodically working his way into the lane. He's always been a very good playmaker, specifically since he went to San Antonio, but that took a little bit of a step back. Here in Chicago, I think he averaged two fewer assists per game than he did the previous season. But a big part of that is the role that he's in on this team and, like we said earlier, that lack of shooting to kick out to uh, to allow him to make plays for his teammates. Um, on defense, he's okay, below average, compared to most uh, the better defensive wings uh, around the league. His confidence has always been one of his biggest issues because the, the, the drop-off between his regular season production and his playoff production has been kind of consistent throughout his career. And I've always associated it associated it to confidence. Like, you just don't see the same, you know, like moxie from him on the court in the playoffs than you do in the regular season. But I did see in this last regular season, the last couple actually, he's, you saw like him start to get a lot more comfortable with who he was, a lot more confident. I saw him out-duel some really good basketball players in big moments at the end of games. But then that completely faded against Milwaukee after that game too, which he was amazing in game two and basically shot the Bucks out of their own building. But the rest of the series, he really, really struggled. And again, it's because they took away his strength, they packed the paint, and DeMar DeRozan methodically working his way downhill into traffic just wasn't going to cut it. And and so he will eventually, again, like him being such a, a great mid-range scorer is uniquely great for this era. Like we've talked about so much, NBA defenses prioritize the three-point line and the rim. So if you can operate in that middle area, there's a great deal of value there. But you can't be a two-level scorer. You have to be a three-level scorer. He did up his uh, uh, usage at the three-point line a little bit this year. I think he went from about 1.2 three-point attempts the previous season to 1.9, which is okay, but he really needs to be a guy who's taken at least three or four three-point shots uh, per game. Number 16, and this is the guy that I think is the breakout player of this past postseason, Jalen Brown. He averaged 24-6-4 and on 57% true shooting in the regular season. He averaged 23-7-4 on 58% true shooting in the playoffs, so ticking up in the playoffs. Just like I said with Anthony Edwards, I think it's a huge uh, indicator of the value of size and strength. He's a big, strong wing, which allows him to thrive in the physicality of the playoffs. I have a couple of wild Jalen Brown stats for you. He led all players in the NBA playoffs in fourth quarter scoring, in total scoring. He shot 58%. Uh, from the field in the fourth quarters, 56% on threes. He straight up won a bunch of games for Boston and on many nights was their best player. He shot 126 pull-up jump shots. That was the revelation from Jalen Brown in this uh, playoff run and made 54 of them, which is 42.9%. As a comparison, Tatum took 192 and only made 33% of them. He had nightmare pull-up shooting. Uh, playoff run. 30 players in this playoff run attempted at least 50 pull-up jump shots. Jalen was fifth in percentage, seventh in effective field goal percentage, which weights threes, and sixth in total makes. Specifically, what he's really great at is his pound dribble step back going to the left. Um, This is great for players that have a low center of gravity that have a good first step. When you beat someone, uh, you drive left, 
and the defender's usually trying to ride you, but you're bigger and stronger, you work him down one or two dribbles and you pound the basketball and take a step back. Jalen Brown is excellent at that specific pull-up jump shot. It's borderline unguardable with how gifted he is at getting to the rim. And then the other thing that's interesting with his off-the-dribble shooting is where he releases the shot. Because he's a great athlete, he elevates and shoots at the top of his shot. There's pretty much like three different shot releases that you'll see around the league. Really short players will shoot on the way up because they're not tall and they typically don't elevate. So they have to get the shot off quickly when they have separation. Classic examples of this are like Steph Curry and Trey Young. Steph, uh, Steph Curry is a lightning quick release on the way up. Spot-up shooters, think like Clay Thompson or any of the other great spot-up shooters around the league, they typically shoot just before the apex of their shot. So they get lots of elevation to take away how much they need to use their arms, which makes it easier to do to, for muscle memory, right? If you have to jack it really, uh, if you have to uh, throw the uh, uh, shoot the ball really hard with your arm, it's hard to control that. But if you elevate, you get good power from your legs, and then you can be really controlled and replicate your release. And then last but not least, there's elevating jump shooters. One of the, the only guard that does this extremely well that I've seen is Kyrie Irving, but these guys shoot at the top of their shot. And the idea there is they're hanging in the air waiting for you to come down so that they can shoot over the top. And that's the type of pull-up jump shooter that Jalen Brown is. He, I, it's, it's really, really pretty to, the, uh, pretty to watch to see the way that he hangs over the defender and shoots. Another great example of that is Mr. Devin Booker. He was fifth in total finishes in the restricted area. Only 64%, though. He struggled to finish through contact. That's something he's going to have to, to uh, get a little bit better at. For a big slashing wing like him, you'd want to be higher than 70. You want to be around 70, 75%. He had uh, averaged 3.5 assists and had 3.1 turnovers per game. He has a tendency to overcomplicate his dribble and dribble into traffic. Now, you'd see people on Twitter say things like, oh, Jalen Brown can't dribble. Jalen Brown can dribble fine. It's just there's two different elements to ball handling. There's the technical aspect of controlling the basketball, and then there's understanding how to avoid situations where you can lose the basketball. In the NBA playoffs, you're allowed to do a lot of hand checking, hitting, and, and, and body checking, and all those things. And if you're even if you technically, in a very sound technical way, dribble the ball well, if someone hits you on the arm, and the ref doesn't call it, you're going to lose the basketball. And one of the big issues that Jalen Brown ran into is he'd get overcomplicated with side-to-side dribbles when he's a better athlete, so he could simplify it and just hit the gaps. And then he would dribble into traffic and keep the dribble alive, and people would slap his arms and stuff, and he'd lose the basketball. Simplifying things, LeBron's great at this, simplifying things to where it's a rip-through and you gather early and tuck the basketball and take it strong to the rim, that'll be the next step to him for him to take care of the basketball. So the big question with Jalen Brown, can he be a number one? And this is a very relevant question because of a specific trade that was thrown out, a trade possibility that was thrown out while I was on vacation involving Jalen Brown going to the Brooklyn Nets. I believe he can. And I'm so high on Jalen Brown that I think the Brooklyn Nets should make this particular trade. If they can't get Zion, if they can't get Scotty Barnes, I would get Jalen Brown if I was the Brooklyn Nets. And a big part of that is he's taking care of the basketball and becoming a better playmaker away from being a bona fide star and a guy who's consistently a threat to be considered a top 10 player. That's how good of a basketball player Jalen Brown is. I'm extremely high on him. He's not a number one right now, but he absolutely can be. Can be and I think it's realistic that he could be one day. And I think Brooklyn should potentially make that move if they can't get something better from Toronto 
or from New Orleans. Very, very high on Jalen Brown. Uh, uh, it's cool to see him this high on the list because uh, I've watched him play in person when he was at Cal. I've watched his career develop, and he's become a fine, dependable NBA playoff basketball player, and I'm excited to see what he can do this last year. All right, that's all I have for tonight. We'll have 15 through 11 sometime this weekend. As always, I appreciate your guys' support, and I'll see you in a couple of days. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.